we're going to pray now as we ask for God's help for me and all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that by your spirit you'd enable me to preach faithfully and from the heart today. Pray, Lord, too, that by your spirit you'd encourage our hearts by the good news we hear. Sobering, even scary words that we hear too. Lord, we pray that by a work of your spirit in all our hearts, wherever we're watching and hearing, that you would transform us and comfort us. Give us hope in Jesus for our good and for his glory. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open, friends, at Matthew chapter 11. We'll be looking at verse 20 and following together. Or when another week's gone by and you haven't had a quiet time and the the guilt weighs upon you, Jesus invites you to rest. When you feel the pressure to perform so God will accept you, Jesus invites you to rest. When your friend feels that they have to be good enough for God to accept them, but Jesus wants you to invite them to his rest. When you're overwhelmed by fear, maybe by the hurt others have caused you, or pain, anxiety, the weariness you experience, Jesus invites you to himself to rest. Today we hear this most wonderful invitation. I hope you'll accept Jesus' invitation and I hope you'll be encouraged. But before we consider that, we hear some confronting words of Jesus. Last week, do you remember that Jesus wanted John the Baptist to know that he is the Messiah, the promised king who come to bring, who has come to bring salvation, salvation now, and judgment will come later. And Jesus in verse 12 also said that his kingdom is and will be violently opposed because people reject him and his lordship over them. And now Jesus makes clear that judgment is coming. Our first of three points is come to Jesus to be saved from judgment. Remember, Jesus has been preaching in towns in Galilee. There's a map on the screen. If you look at the blue arrow where it's pointing, that's the area we're talking about. That's where Jesus has been. And and verse 20 says he's performed many miracles there. These miracles, they back up his message. They confirm that he is the promised Messiah King, as he said in in verse 4, quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament. God was in the presence of these people, but they did not repent in response. To repent means to change your mind, to change your direction, to to do a U-turn. If you repent, you stop living for yourself, for idols, and you turn to God. We turn to God by turning to the Lord Jesus in faith and trust. So we repent by turning away from sin, coming to Jesus and trusting in him. Jesus says if the cities of Tyre and Sidon, they're near the red arrow there on the screen, if those people in those cities had witnessed the miracles that you have, they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon, they were Old Testament cities that suffered God's judgment from Assyria and Babylon. And we read earlier, didn't we, in Genesis 19 about how the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were judged by God 
for their immorality and wickedness, and God, God rained down fire, killing them all. And Jesus says in verse 23, if the people of Sodom had heard the gospel and seen what you've seen, they would have repented. You see, too often the people of Galilee, they were wowed and amazed by Jesus and what he did, but they didn't come to him. Yes, some did. Even the apostles, Peter and Andrew and Philip, they came from Bethsaida. You see, repentance was possible, but most refused. And so Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Woe means doom, destruction is coming. It's a grave warning. Woe, woe, because I've shared God's good news with you and you didn't want it. You don't want me. You didn't want to repent and so now judgment is coming and God's judgment on you will be more severe, more unbearable and terrifying. Jesus' words here tell us that God does not owe anyone anything. If Sodom would have repented, if Christ had appeared, preached and performed miracles, so be it. But God is and was not under obligation to do that. And Sodom was still responsible for their sin. You see, people are responsible for their choices. They're also personally responsible when, when they reject Jesus. Jesus is also highlighting here God's justice and fairness because God takes into account opportunities that people have had to turn back to God. And if people have not had the same opportunity or knowledge, then their judgment in hell will be less severe. Jesus is teaching that there will, that there will be degrees of judgment in hell and Hades, the place where unbelievers go after death. You see, God is just. You may be thinking, yes, these Jews rejected Jesus and they deserve judgment, but, but what about those who've never heard the gospel? How can God judge them? Well, God is just. And he won't judge people for not turning to a Jesus they've never heard of. People will be judged for their sinful choices, for going against their consciences and for rejecting the God they did know something of through creation. And so Romans chapter 1 says that no one is without excuse. In God's mercy, he has, he still, he sends workers to the unreached peoples of the world to tell them about Jesus. But I'm deeply concerned for many Australians too. So many people in our country, they used to go to church when they were younger. They had RE, religious education, when they were at school. So many can visit a church down the road, pick up a Bible, Gideon's Bible in a hotel room. You see, so many people around us have had access to the knowledge of God and rejected it. And when our friends hear that we're Christian, how many of them want to know more? So let's pray for God to change hearts and minds and grant repentance before the judgment comes that all people deserve. 
When 12 police raided Peter Noble's house in Western Sydney, he knew he was done. Scouring the 19-year-old's house looking for photos of graffiti, bolt cutters, spray cans, police found enough enough evidence to charge him with 26 graffiti offences. There seemed to be no way around it. He was going to jail. Shortly after his arrest, a friend invited him to a Bible study. Having grown up in a Christian home, Peter was no stranger to church, but he'd been living a double life. With nothing to lose, he went along. He watched an evangelistic DVD and the presenter asked, if you died tonight, where would you be going? Peter says, I thought, man, I'd be going to hell. I was really hit by the weight of my sin. I went home that night and I was just shaking. I could barely put the keys in the car. I remember going home and weeping and crying for God to save my life. In that moment, Peter committed his life to Christ. Not everyone has police raid their house to wake them up. But he says some people do need to have their life taken away from them to realize that God's trying to get their attention. I wonder if God's trying to do that in COVID. Now Peter's at Bible college, he runs a youth drop-in centre and he has a hip-hop ministry. But before all that, when he went in court, Peter stood up, he looked the judge straight in the eye and he said, I'm sorry, I'm here. I stand before you now with my friends, my family, my pastors, who all know me to promise that you will never see me in this court again. Amazingly, Peter escaped jail even a suspended sentence. He said, I didn't get justice. I got mercy. Why was that? It's because he repented. Before the merciful judge, Jesus, have you repented? Because if you don't... You don't want it to be unbearable for you on the day of judgment. So turn back to God by trusting in Jesus. Turn your back on your sin. Come to Christ so your soul may live. My next point is come to Jesus, come to Christ to know God, the Father. Look down at verse 25. I praise you, Father. Jesus is praying out loud, it seems, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants or little children. Jesus here is not contrasting knowledge and ignorance or the educated with the uneducated or the old and the young. It's more about those who think they can save themselves versus those who in dependence rely on God. Too many people boast in their achievements. They see themselves as self-sufficient and they find it so hard to trust in God. The Jews of Galilee and their leaders, they, they heard the Son of God preach. They saw him perform miracles and they still thought they don't need to repent. They knew best. You see, God does not exclude smart people from the kingdom, but those who 
trust in their smartness. It's not intelligence, but intellectual pride that shuts people out of the kingdom. So before God, I ask, are you, before God, are you an achiever or a child? Pastor and author John MacArthur, he shares this. Once a girl, perhaps nine or ten, came up and asked me a question. What happens to babies and mentally disabled children when they die? She was obviously very serious and I did my best to answer her. Beginning with David's comment about his infant son who had died, I shall go to him but he will not return to me, 2 Samuel 12. MacArthur said, I explained that God takes to himself all of those, such as babies and mentally disabled people who are not able to choose him. I would add that the Bible promises that for the children of believers, but for others, we can't be certain. MacArthur says, afterward, I, after, afterward, her mother explained that the girl's younger brother was seriously disabled. He understood almost nothing of what went on around him. His sister, young as she was, she knew the way of salvation and was deeply concerned that her brother might not go to heaven because he was not able to understand how to receive Christ as saviour. MacArthur says, I reminded her that Jesus said, unless you're converted and become like little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18.3. She was greatly relieved when I said to her that her little brother was a living illustration of the kind of person Jesus came to save and receive into heaven, the utterly helpless. It is to spiritual babes, those who acknowledge their utter helplessness that God chooses to reveal himself to. And as verse 26 says, God can reveal himself to whoever he chooses. God sovereignly chooses who he will reveal himself to. And so Jesus could simultaneously warn the people who did not repent and praise the God who conceals and to others reveals. At the same time, God is sovereign over people's salvation and people are responsible for their choices. And I know that that is something many struggle with. Please get in touch with me if you have questions. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 27, it's up to him who he chooses to reveal the Father to. No one knows the Father, that is truly and fully knows the Father except him, the Son. It's a breathtaking claim. It reminds us of statements in John's Gospel. The point is, if Jesus does not reveal God the Father to us, then we remain blind, blind and dead in sin. If we want to know God, we come through Jesus. We come to Jesus. If you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. 
If your father still lives, I could learn and come to know facts about him. You know, what your, where your dad lives, his job, things he does, things he likes and dislikes. But, but that's way different from knowing him personally, isn't it? Knowing him in terms of having a relationship with him. So if we want to know God the Father personally, then you and I need to trust. We need to know Jesus personally and we, we come to know him by trusting him. And when we have a relationship of faith and trust with Jesus, it's also a relationship of faith and trust with God the Father. When Mahatma Gandhi the Indian civil rights and spiritual leader was dying. One of his relatives came to him and asked, Babaki, you've been looking for God all your life. Have you found him yet? No, was his reply. Still looking. Many think Gandhi was a great teacher, an example, but his statement highlights Jesus' words. No one knows the Father except the Son. If, if you don't have Jesus, then with Gandhi, then you don't have God. If you want to get to God, come to Jesus. If you're hungry for relationship with God, then pray and ask him to reveal himself to you as you read his word. If you want to discover God, you'll find him by trusting in his son, Jesus. If we come to Jesus, we'll be saved from judgment. We'll know God. And now thirdly, we'll find rest. Verse 28 is the most wonderful, warm invitation for all who feel their need of rescue by God. Come to me and I will give you rest. It's another breathtaking claim. Rest from what? Many Greeks at that time were burdened by their search for the truth. Many Jews must have found religion a burden, a matter of endless rules and duties. And it's religious rules and regulations that Jesus particularly has in mind here. When he speaks about this yoke, that he wants to take off us. As we saw in the kids' talk, a yoke, is, a yoke is a frame used to help animals and people carry heavy burdens. A weary, it describes work to the point of exhaustion. A word that's normally used to describe tiring field work. But here it's not about physical work. Jesus says later in Matthew 23, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders. You see, God's law and the Ten Commandments, they were always beyond man's ability to obey. But the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, they even added more man-made rules on top of it. And so in Acts chapter 15, Peter describes salvation by works as putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. Also in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and 
don't submit or be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, Jesus offers real relief from the burden of religious law-keeping as a means of self-worth or salvation. Trying to earn God's favour and acceptance by your good deeds only puts a heavy yoke on your back that you cannot carry. And we can all, I think, so easily fall into the trap of thinking like this. What does God do? He comes to us in his son. Jesus carries our burdens for us. He carries the burden of the law in our place. He lived sinlessly, died our death, taking our punishment for breaking the law. On the cross, he carried the burden of our sins away. So now come to Jesus. Believe in him. Rest your all on him. Jim Sorchak was born into a Roman Catholic family. And he said, I did everything that was expected of me. I attended mass. I went to Catholic schools. I fasted. I was an altar boy. But I had no assurance of salvation. So I stopped going to the Roman Catholic Church. I knew I, I, knew I was going to hell. And I was right. But Jimmy decided he just wanted to make it to the top. He and his wife, they moved to Seattle. They lived a good life. Jim said, I had a good job, lots of money. I lived well. However, I felt the void in my life. And I started the search to fill it. I tried Islam, Scientology. I hung out with Jehovah's Witnesses. Nothing could fill the void. I started to read the Bible and see the errors of the Roman Catholic Church, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, Scientology. I accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour, Lord and God by faith alone, by grace alone, in 1990. And he has made changes in me that no religion could make. He changed my life forever. And Jim says, if you read or read my testimony and feel the same void in your life? Do you feel that your sin is too much for God to accept you? Were you raised in a religion that depends on you saving yourself rather than God saving you? Fear not, God is waiting for you with open arms. Come as you are. God will accept you if you truly desire him. The changes will come after you. Trust Jesus as your saviour and Lord. I am living proof that God exists, says Jim. What will we experience if we come to Jesus and depend on him? Rest, verse 28. Rest, 29. And this verse is dear to the heart of many of us, many a believer, isn't it? If we come to Jesus in faith, he promises. He promises us rest and refreshment. Red Bull might claim to give you wings and vitalize you body and mind. Powerade might claim to make you go stronger for longer. But they, they can't give a refreshment that lasts. 
or satisfies deep inside in our souls. Jesus fulfills this. Jesus gives this. Because we can get off the performance treadmill trying to earn God's favour and we can have the wonderful assurance that our eternal destinies are secure in Christ. So it's about rest and peace with God now, eternal rest in the future. But Jesus also gives us rest in other ways. As Kirsty said in the kids' talk, it's peace with God and it's the peace of God. So knowing that it also includes this rest, it also includes knowing that God has met my eternal needs in Jesus. So we can trust him patiently to meet all our other needs. Food and a job and home and relationships. Energy, strength for the day. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, God will meet all our needs in Christ Jesus, even when life is hard. Therefore, rest is a a real measure of freedom, freedom from the things that weary and disturb us. Don't we have lots of those at the moment? Things that can weary us and disturb us. Maybe like me, you feel weighed down. Christ can free our hearts and minds from the things that rob us of peace and joy. Rest isn't only relief from uncertainty and fear anxiety, despair. This rest, it's it's also positively, it's it's peace of mind, it's peace in your heart. And yes, that won't be perfect now or permanent now. Our feelings, we can go up and down. But Jesus came to end the search for rest by taking us in, in his loving arms. So come to him in his word and in prayer. Come to him again and again. He can help you hang in there. Today and this week, however long the lockdown or your trial lasts. A woman called Rachel who's not from Bundy. She's had chronic fatigue syndrome for three years. She says the experience is at times unbearable, often overwhelming. Physically, the fatigue becomes so bad, my whole body feels horrible, like each muscle is being injected with poison and pain and heaviness. It, It affects me mentally. I struggle to concentrate, read, think, interact with people. It affects me emotionally. I'm often frustrated, isolated, lonely. Sometimes God feels so far away and I feel I've got no trust left and I I can't do it anymore. Rachel says, throughout this suffering, my heart seeks comfort and joy. But I'm ashamed at how often I've turned to our broken world for these things instead of to God. I've found my biggest challenge in any day is to run to him 
I wonder sometimes how many things God has to take away from me before I listen to his voice. Cling to me. Cling to me. I love you. So many of God's children can testify that the rest Jesus gives enables them to grieve with hope, patiently endure. He gives strength for the day, grace to love, calmness in the storm. You see, this rest, it's not about being free and independent so I can live for myself, be selfish and just do nothing. No, Jesus says, yoke yourself to me. Stick yourself to me in faith by trusting my word and you will find peace and satisfaction that you'll never find elsewhere and a new way of living. And so this light yoke that Christ asks us to carry in verse 30 is following him as his disciple. It's learning from him all our life, even learning to rest on him. It's about trusting and obeying him. And yes, that can be hard and it involves effort, but we trust and obey God in his grace and out of sheer gratitude. Gratitude for the salvation that he's already given to us. And actually because it's so delightful. To live for Jesus is joy. It is deep down joy. Because he saves us from judgment. He brings us to know God the Father. He gives us rest. Jesus says to you and I today, he says, I've come to you. Come for you. Now come to me. And as I opened, I close. When another another week has gone by, you haven't had a quiet time. The guilt weighs upon you. Jesus invites you to his rest. When you feel the pressure to perform so God will accept you, Jesus invites you to rest. When your friend feels that they have to be good enough for God to accept them, Jesus wants you to invite them to rest in him. When you're overwhelmed by fear, the hurt others cause, the pain, the anxiety, the weariness that you experience, Jesus invites you and I to himself to rest. Will you accept his invitation? Let's pray. God, so many of us at the moment weighed down by worry and weariness because of this lockdown and because of other things. We pray, God, and instead of running to the fleeting pleasures and fixes of the world that just don't last, Lord, we pray that we'd run to Jesus. And as that Rachel with chronic fatigue said, shared that, that we would cling to him because he loves us and has given us this wonderful promise to cling to. God, for any listening now who have not repented and been saved from judgment through the merciful King Jesus, we pray that they would. 
Thank you that by trusting in Jesus, we come to know you as a loving Heavenly Father. You are the one who gives us rest. And you are the one who will give us eternal, perfect rest in the life to come. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and that you will not forsake us. Amen.